Scripture lesson for this first Sunday in the season of Advent comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. Listen now for God's word to you. This is Jesus speaking, and he says to us, But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on the day and the hour your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you do not know. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It does sound a little tinny, Terry. Yeah. Hopefully it's not too distracting to you all. Um, you're not going to listen? Who said that? I thought that, I, I, I looked, is that you? <laughs> I like how my immediately turned around to you. I knew it was you. <laughs> my uh, 9 a.m. heckler. This one's not recorded. Yeah, right. Well, it maybe is recorded. The audio is recorded for, for SoundCloud. So whoever's listening on SoundCloud, enjoy. Um, what do you want for Christmas? It's a question that we get asked a lot during this time of year. It's a question that we ask our kids and our grandkids, what do you want for Christmas? And making a Christmas list, I've always kind of found to be fun. I especially found it fun when I was younger. I especially loved giving my Christmas list to my grandparents uh, because they always ensured, they always made sure that they bought exactly what I asked for. Uh, my grandparents loved to Christmas shop for their grandkids. They had 10 grandkids. They would compile a list for all of them. Um, and they would go shopping one day at the mall. They would spend all day at the mall going to every store imaginable, and inevitably they would lose each other somewhere in the mall um, long before the advent of cell phones. Um, so one year we got them walkie-talkies so they could make sure they found each other somewhere in the mall. Um, but Christmas lists are fun, I think, um, especially for younger people. It's fun to see the things that they want for Christmas. You kind of get a sense of the, their personality, their interests, the things that really excite them when you look at their Christmas lists. Um, but sometimes you find some really unexpected things on the Christmas list of young children, and I spent some time this week looking at some of those odd things that end up on children's Christmas lists. Like one kid asked for a gallon of glue on his Christmas list. Um, a gallon of glue. Glue. <laughs> yeah. As a parent, that one scares me a little bit. I'm not sure what they're planning on doing with that. Um, one young kid who is apparently a fan of the movie Despicable Me asked for real minions for Christmas. Um, one child who seized upon the full power of his imagination asked for a space station. Uh, another who must have been very hungry when he wrote his Christmas list asked for three boxes of Fruit Loops. Um, and, you know, and often on Christmas lists you get kids asking for a baby brother or baby sister. Um, well, one kid asked for a nine-year-old brother on their Christmas list. I'm not sure if that's older or that's younger than the person who asked for it, but they asked for a nine-year-old brother. Um, 
One child asked for only one thing on her Christmas list. She asked for a cat, but she wrote it in 16 different languages to make sure that nothing was missed in translation with Santa Claus. And then finally, one very ambitious 10-year-old asked for, on her Christmas list, she asked for an iPhone, a new MacBook, AirPods, uh, Gucci slippers, a Gucci purse, a real bunny, and $4,000 cash. Are you pointing at your wife? Are you pointing at your wife? That's what's on your Christmas list? (laughs) Christmas lists are fun, though, right? They're fun. And even as we get older, I think we still have our Christmas lists. Even if we're not actually writing them down, we still have those Christmas lists, those things that we're wishing for. And, And sometimes they are those tangible material possessions like Gucci slippers, which apparently Chris Peterson wants, I guess, uh, um, according to her husband. <laughs> um, we have all of those things that we might want, but I think even as we get older, those Christmas lists start to take a little bit of a different quality to them. But the things we want for Christmas become a lot simpler in a lot of ways, that for a lot of us, all we want for Christmas sometimes is just for our families to be together, um, that all we want is for our kids to be home for the, the holiday season, or Um, I know for me, as Heather and I have gotten older, as we become parents, the thing that we most want for Christmas every year is really simple. It's just to see the joy and the excitement on our kids' faces when they wake up on Christmas morning. What do you want for Christmas? It's the question that's at the heart of this sermon series through the season of Advent. What do you want for Christmas? And we're going to be answering that question by saying, all I want for Christmas is. And we're going to spend the next four weeks saying that. All I want for Christmas is. We begin here this morning with this reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Last week we had what's known as Isaiah's Apocalypse, or at least a section of Isaiah's Apocalypse. Uh, This morning we get what's known as Jesus' Apocalypse, and it's found in not only in Matthew, but also in Mark and in Luke. And it maybe feels like a sort of strange way to begin a season, where we're beginning the journey towards Bethlehem, towards the child who sleeps softly in the manger. And what we get instead is an an apocalyptic vision that there's a sudden cataclysm that bursts out like as in the days of Noah and then the floodwaters come or you have two people working in the field or grinding meal together and one is taken and the other is left. It's sort of a jarring way to begin a season that is normally associated with kind of warm, fuzzy feelings. But these apocalyptic images that Jesus gives us this morning I don't think are the most challenging things that Jesus ever said to us. I don't think it's the most challenging thing Jesus says even in this passage itself. And let's face it, Jesus said a lot of challenging, difficult things to us. That we're to love our enemies, that we're to turn the other cheek, that we're to not resist an evil person. Those are really hard things, right? Jesus once tells someone who's described as a rich man, the rich man who wants to follow Jesus, he says, you need to sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. That's a hard thing. How many of us are ready to sign up for that? Carol's ready to sign up for it. (laughs) Um, Those are hard things to say, but I don't think those are the hardest things that Jesus ever said to us. I think the hardest thing that Jesus ever said to us, the most difficult thing Jesus ever said to us, is found here in this passage when he says, we don't know the day or the hour when he will appear, so stay awake, pay attention. And I think that that is the most challenging thing Jesus has ever said to us because we live in an age of distraction. Uh, The poet T.S. Eliot once said that we are distracted from distraction by distraction, that we are people who are constantly pulled in a million different directions at all given hours of the day, that we are constantly asked to multitask, that we 
We tweet, we email, we text message, we, phone, we make phone calls, and that's just on the drive to soccer practice or to the board meeting. There's a quote from the New Yorker that says that uh, distraction is now a universal competency. We are all experts. But the question is, how did we get here? How did we get to this place of being so distracted? And the easiest answer, the easiest target for this is technology, the explosion of technology in our lives. And, and I don't want to make technology sound like some boogeyman. Technology has offered us tremendous benefits, right? It's improved our lives over the course of the pandemic. Technology allowed us to continue to connect. And I'm someone who loves technology. I look forward every year to Apple's big release event where they release their latest iPhones and Apple Watches. And I know there's a couple of you in here who look forward to that as well. Um, but even so... I've noticed the ways that technology has impacted my ability to pay attention, to not be distracted. I remember back in the days before the advent of smartphones everywhere, and yes, I am old enough to remember those days. Um, before smartphones were everywhere, I remember I was able to sit down and read a book or watch a television show without constantly being distracted by what was going on on my phone. And that distraction, that constant need to feel like I have to check my phone has impacted other parts of my life as well, that I'm constantly jumping from one thing to the other, like the way that I clean the house, I empty the dishwasher halfway, then do the laundry halfway, then pick up the kids' toys halfway, and then I have all of these half-done tasks sitting around the house because I am constantly distracted, constantly bouncing from one thing to the next. So certainly technology has had an impact on our ability to pay attention. But technology is not the only way that we distract ourselves. It would be unfair and I think inaccurate to say that technology is the sole cause of all of that. That Jesus speaks these words to us to stay awake and to pay attention long before the advent of screens everywhere. Sorry, that was not meant to be a pun. Um, long before screens were everywhere. But we have lots of ways of distracting ourselves. For some of us, it is this constant feeling like we have to be busy, constantly going from this place to that. By ensuring that we're always busy, we never have to stop and ever be fully present in any one given moment. Or for some of us, sometimes the distraction is constantly surrounding ourselves with people so that we never have to be alone. Or in this season, as we prepare for Christmas, distractions abound, right? The need to, the pressure to feel like we have to create the perfect Christmas, the constant shopping, the consumerism, the materialism, all of these things create distractions, that we are incredibly distracted people. And now, after I've said all of this, I want to put a big caveat to all of this. Distraction is not always a bad thing. Distraction can sometimes be a really good thing. At the, when we're going through stress, sometimes we need distraction to help keep ourselves sane. Or uh, when we're going, we experience pain and loss, sometimes distraction, the need to keep on moving is an important piece of that process. Or for me, I know that sometimes at the end of a really long day, the most blessed thing is to sit down on my phone and just zone out for a little. Let, let, my, let my brain lay fallow. But where distractions, I think, are incredibly harmful and unhealthy is when we use it to numb ourselves to numb ourselves to what's going on within our own souls, to numb ourselves to what's happening in the lives of other people, to, to numb ourselves, to keep ourselves asleep to the painful realities in the world around us. There was a comedian who talked about this a few years ago. He talked about how, he talked about this in reference to why people text and drive. That they text and drive because they can't stand to be alone for just a moment. 
And so they would risk their own lives or risk harming somebody else just because they can't stand to be alone. And this is why Jesus' words to us to stay awake, to pay attention, I think, are so difficult. It is difficult to pay attention. It is difficult to be fully present in any one given moment, especially when that moment, when that reality, when what's going on inside or with others around us is painful and difficult. It is hard to be present, and so we use distractions to numb ourselves. That it is far easier for us to distract ourselves with some silly argument on Facebook over who knows what topic, and pick your topic these days, right? than it is to deal with the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation with those whom we have grievances with or who have grievances with us. It is far easier to keep ourselves constantly going, constantly moving, overscheduling our lives than it is to pay attention maybe to those deep-seated feelings of inadequacy within our own hearts that make us feel like we can never stop, that we have to, to keep on going. You know, sometimes I think Jesus was right when he uses these kind of apocalyptic images, that the world sometimes feels like it's spinning off of its axis, and we are fully aware of those realities, I think, these days. And so it is far easier for us to to watch a Netflix marathon than it is to deal with the very real pain, the very real uh, hurt that is going on in the world around us. Distractions numb us. They keep us asleep. They, they keep us from being fully present in any one given moment. And if it weren't for Jesus, we would have kept on sleeping, wouldn't we? And yet Jesus rouses us awake. I, I, uh, I think about my mom in this situation in this, with this passage. My mom, when she would wake us up for school, she was never one of those moms who'd sit at the bedside and say, it's time to get up, honey, time to get up for school. No, she'd flip the lights on and say, time to get up, Right? And it was up to us to wake up at that point. And I think this is kind of what Jesus does to us. He flips on the light and says, it's time to wake up. Pay attention. Because you don't know the hour or the moment when I am going to show up, when I am going to arrive. The season of Advent is all about waiting. And waiting is a really hard and difficult thing. And when we are waiting, we want to distract ourselves. And yet Jesus says, pay attention. Pay attention to where I am going to show up. You don't know when I'm going to arrive. That advent, that word advent means either coming or arrival. It's all about Jesus' arrival in our world. And and advent is not so much about, or not only about looking backwards to Jesus' arrival in the manger 2,000 years ago. That advent is just as much about looking ahead to when Jesus will appear among us again, when his advent will happen here and now. And that's why it makes sense to read passages like this apocalyptic vision that we read in the first Sunday of Advent, because it helps to orient us, to prepare ourselves for Jesus' arrival. And that arrival always happens in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. Those are the stories that we hear in this season, aren't they? How God shows up in unexpected places, that God shows up for a young teenager named Mary who lives on the very edges of an empire, and God says through an angel that you are going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Who would have ever expected that Mary would have been God's choice? Or on the flip side of that, God shows up for Elizabeth, a woman who is well beyond childbearing years, and says that you are going to give birth to John the Baptizer, the one who's going to prepare the way for the Savior, a character who we are going to meet next week. 
or God shows up for, uh, uh, for Anna and Simeon, these two elderly people living in Jerusalem who have spent their entire lives waiting for God to answer God's promises. And finally, it happens. Or at the end of the season of Advent, how it all culminates is at the, at the manger in Bethlehem with Jesus sleeping on the hay, a place that no one expected him to be. Advent is all about preparing ourselves and and orienting ourselves, paying attention to those unexpected places where Christ shows up, that he continues to show up in those unexpected places, that we never know when it's going to happen. We never know when God's grace is going to knock us flat on our backs. We we never know when God's word of love is going to come to us and remind us who we actually are. We we never know when a sudden cataclysm or what feels like a sudden cataclysm will will fall on us and we will see Christ revealed in the faces of of the hungry, the poor, and the destitute. We never know when the light is going to pierce the darkness. So pay attention, Jesus says. Stay awake. Because it always happens in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. What do you want for Christmas this year? All I want for Christmas this year is to pay attention. To pay attention to the God who continues to show up in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. To pay attention to the ways that Christ is still born in our hearts and in our lives. To, to pay attention to the ways that the light is still bursting into the darkness to pay attention to the ways that God still shows up in the faces of the poor, the hungry, and the destitute. All I want is to pay attention. That in this season of Advent waiting, to pay attention, to stay awake, because we never know when Christ is going to appear. Don't miss it. Thanks be to God. Amen.